text today will be taken from the reading in the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Most merciful God, this is the time of year where we give you thanks for sending us your Son to be our Savior. Today, O Lord, as we hear about what it means to believe in your promises, we pray that you would grant us faith to trust in you so that our faith is in your word more than it is in what we see and hear all around us. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. How would you feel this Wednesday morning if you gave somebody a very special gift that you had picked out just for them and they rejected it? How would that make you feel? I mean, think about it. Think about this. Like you, you would give this person a gift and you know this person well and you looked at their list and you examined everything they wanted and you considered every aspect of their life, their hopes, their fears, their joys, their passions, the things that they love. And you know, so you put a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into getting them the perfect present and you gave it to them on Christmas morning and they open it up and they look at it and they go, nah, no thanks. And they crumble it up and they throw it in the trash. How would that make you feel? Pretty good, right? Yes, of course. That'd be terrible. It'd be a very frustrating and aggravating thing to give someone such a wonderful gift only to have it rejected. Well, that is actually what we see going on today in our reading from the prophet Isaiah. As we encounter this king named Ahaz, God gives Ahaz a gift, and Ahaz takes that gift, and he crumbles it up, and he throws it away. What we're going to do this morning as we work through Isaiah and talk about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is we're going to do a little bit of Bible study here. So, so put your thinking caps on. We're going to go to school today, and we're going to do kind of a history lesson of Israel to help us understand exactly what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, the king here in this passage is a gentleman by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz is not a good king in Israel. He is a bad king of Israel. Uh, he leads the people astray. He doesn't trust in God. He is not one of the good kings in the history of Israel. Now, you need to understand what's going on in the history of Israel at this time to really grasp what is taking place. Israel at this point in history is sort of split in two. You have the northern kingdom, which the scriptures refer to typically as Israel or Ephraim. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Now at this point in history, the northern kingdom has aligned with another nation called Samaria. And they're planning an attack on Judah. They want to come in and take Judah out and overrun Judah. And Ahaz is very nervous about this. So he decides he's going to appeal to a much more powerful nation to help protect uh, Judah from these other two nations. And he decides he's going to appeal to a great big nation called Assyria. So if you're following the map here, we have these two nations here. We have Judah, and then you have Assyria, okay? And Assyria, this is a very accurate map with my hands, just so you're clear today. Assyria is a big, bad nation, as one of the commentators I read this week said, they make today's terrorists look awfully PG. The way they would treat nations when they overrun them and attack them was, was brutal and violent and terrifying. And Ahaz thought, if I can buy them off, if I can get them on my side, I will be protected from these other nations and, you know, that Assyrians will wipe them out and we'll be safe. 
Never mind the fact that when you make a deal with the devil, it always comes back to bite you, right? Like, this is not a good plan. Never mind the fact that he's appealing to another nation and not to God, and that this nation would come in and subjugate Judah to all kinds of dangerous stuff. Never mind all of that. Ahaz figures, if I appeal to Assyria, I will now have a very strong and powerful ally, and I will look like the savior of Israel of Judah, I should say. I will look like the one who has come in and conquered, and I'm going to look like a great king. So Ahaz has his Assyrian option, and he's very proud of this. But God has something to say. After all, Ahaz is the king of God's people, and God has his own ideas of how to protect his people. So God sends Ahaz his prophet. He sends him Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, coming to Ahaz to talk about this, would not sort of be unheard of. After all, one of his jobs would have been to pray to God for wisdom about what to do when you go into battle. Ahaz should have appealed to Isaiah. Isaiah would have prayed to God and then given Ahaz a word from God. But Ahaz doesn't do that. He's too proud. He doesn't trust God. So Isaiah comes, and Isaiah says to him essentially this. Don't worry about these northern kingdoms. God will conquer them for you. He will protect your people. He is going to take care of you. You can trust this promise. And then Isaiah says this, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you don't trust this, you're going to fall apart. So then what Isaiah does is he says, God is going to take care of you. You've got to trust this. And then he gives him something to believe. He tells him, He's giving him a gift. He says, ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, God's going to take care of this for you and he wants to prove it to you. And now here's a present, here's a gift for you. Ask him of any sign, any earth-shattering, mind-blowing sign and he will give it to you. He's ready to give it, just ask him. And Ahaz says, I will not do that. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So just to be clear, God knows what Ahaz wants. God knows what Ahaz needs. God knows what Israel wants and needs, and he's promising to protect them and drive out their enemies. He's literally telling Ahaz, I'm going to give this to you as a gift. Just ask for me a sign, and I will prove it to you. And Ahaz takes that gift from God, and he crumbles it up. And he throws it away. He puts it in the trash. Because Ahaz knows if he abandons his Assyrian option, he'll be with, left with nothing but faith in God. And he can't see God, but he can see Assyria. And he trusts his eyes more than he trusts the word that's placed in his ears. Besides, Following that sign, trusting that sign would mean that God would now be in charge and Ahaz not. It would remind the people that God sits on the throne and Ahaz doesn't. And Ahaz is too proud and vain to go with that. No. Ahaz will cling to his unbelief. He will not trust the word. He will not ask for a sign. But God loves his people too much to be put off and stopped by Ahaz's pride. So Isaiah sighs and says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Isaiah gives the promise, but he gives so much more than a promise. He makes a promise that God is, in fact, going to grant the victory to Judah, but he's going to do something far greater, something far more profound and powerful when he sends the most marvelous of all the signs, God with us, the Son of God coming in the womb of a virgin. And that virgin-born child will save his people not just from Assyria, not just from these two northern tribes, not just from any worldly power, but from the tyrant that has been plaguing us from the very beginning. He will save his people from their sins. Now fast forward a few hundred years when God sees fit to fulfill this promise. And we find the virgin he promised, Mary. Now Mary was no powerful king or queen of Judah sitting on a throne with glory all around her. She was a poor teenage girl. And there was not much for her in this world. According to that culture, you may or may not be aware of this, women were considered to be second-class citizens and teenage girls uh, were even lower than that in society. There actually was a Jewish prayer that used to be prayed by some of the Jewish leadership that said something like this, uh, Lord God, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That we don't have that one in our liturgy for what it's worth. Uh, Well, I don't think God pays much mind to such prayers. Because when he decides it's time to fulfill his great promises through Isaiah and given to all of creation, he decides to do it through a poor, young teenage girl. And he decides to give her the greatest gift ever given to all of creation, when the virgin will be found with a child named Jesus. And so he sends a messenger to her as well. Uh, She doesn't get a prophet like Isaiah. Mary gets an angel. And the angel shows up, and we know the story, right? The angel comes to Mary and says, Blessed are you, for God has favor upon you, and now you are going to bring forth the Messiah. Uh, You are going to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And it's this wonderful scene. Now, of course, Mary's a little confused by this. She wants to know how it's going to happen, given her current relationship status. But the angel tells her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. And so now what is Mary to do? Because now Mary is in the same position as Ahaz. God has given her a gift. He has placed this gift before her. He is promising to her the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And what is she to do with this? I mean, if Ahaz felt like he had something to lose by trusting in God, think about Mary. Mary, who was already considered low in society, would now be at risk of losing her life. At this point in her life, she is betrothed, we know, uh, to a guy named Joseph. And that betrothal period is about a year-long period that functions kind of like an engagement time um, before the actual wedding. And if it turns out that a young woman was found to be pregnant in that time by someone who was not the betrothed husband, then she, should, uh, she could, by law, be brought out into the streets and stoned to death and killed for such a crime. Mary is risking her life by doing this. 
even if, as Joseph plans to do, as we know from the other account, in, uh, from the reading this morning in Matthew, even if Joseph does uh, decide to leave her, she would still be left alone to raise this child by herself in a society where she would not be welcome. To be sure, she would have been given a great gift from God, God in her womb. And yet she would be ostracized and rejected by her entire community. Mary stands to lose everything. So what is she to do? Mary responds to the angel and really to the word of God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. I mean, it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. The world would see this gift given to Mary. They would take it, they would crumble it up, and they would throw it away. But Mary believes. Mary trusts the word. Martin Luther, in commenting on this passage, says there's actually three great miracles that take place in this account. The first great miracle is that a virgin would be found to be with child. And Luther says this is wonderful, but it's no big thing for God because nothing's impossible with God. The second great miracle here is that God would come in human flesh, that God would be found in the womb of Mary. And this is really something to be in awe of. This is what we celebrate and rejoice in all season long, that God comes in the flesh. But Luther says the third miracle is not the least of all. The third miracle is that Mary actually believes the promise. She actually has faith in this. Faith is a miracle indeed. Faith is always a miracle wherever it is found. Paul says it this way in Romans. Faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. This word creates faith miraculously in our hearts. So Mary hears the words of Christ from those angelic lips, and Mary believes it is a miracle of God. I mean, we may have that question today. Why does Ahaz not believe, and why does Mary believe? Well, the Ahaz one is easy. His sin, his pride, his vanity, his, his lust for glory and power, trusting the things of this world over the things of God, prevent him from listening to the word of God. But why does Mary believe? Because God worked a miracle in her heart. Her faith can be attributed only to God who gives promises and creates faith. And so now the question is turned on you today. For as you have gathered here this morning, just a few days before Christmas, the same word of promise comes to you. The same promise given to Ahaz, the same promise given to Mary, is being promised to you. The same child born of the virgin, Jesus Christ, is promised to you. For he is your Jesus, and he is your Savior. God has promised to send him for you, to take away all of your sins, and to give you the gift of his everlasting life. In fact, God is promising to give you Jesus here this morning, in bread and in wine. When Christ puts his very body in the bread and his very blood in the wine for you and for the forgiveness of your sins, so that just as sure as he is in the womb of Mary, Christ will be in the sacrament for you today. He is here for you. It's a promise and it's a gift. Now, of course, believing that you're receiving the actual body and blood of Christ in a meal, that's, that's hard to believe. Of course, it runs against every sense that you have. And you'll probably be made fun of by the world if you leave here today and you tell them uh, that you ate and drank the body and blood of Christ this Sunday. Heavens, you might even be mocked by other Christians for saying such things. 
And yet the word still comes to you today, just as it came to Ahaz and Mary. The Father has decided to use this bread and wine to deliver Jesus to you. Now, it would be seem that right now the question is this for you. Who are you going to be? Ahaz or Mary? Are you going to believe this promise or are you going to reject it? But actually, that's not the question at all. Because there is no question about this here today. You are not Ahaz, nor are you Mary. You are the one God has chosen to give the gift to this morning. Now, I suppose you could reject it. You could take it and ball it up and throw it out. You could join Ahaz outside in all of your religious pride and not come to the altar. But why in the world would you want to remove yourself from such a blessed gift of Mary's son? This is the gift you need. This is the one who forgives you. This is the one who saves you. You and I, we come here as lost sinners, yet he is here for you and for me. Therefore, there's really no choice to be made here today. There's nothing left to decide. The promise has been made, and it's true. Take it and eat it. Take it and drink it. It's for you. And yeah, I mean, it is a miracle that Christ would decide to put himself in bread and wine to forgive your sins and sustain your faith. But perhaps it's even a greater miracle that you would believe it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the promises you have made.